welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, my dude? How you doing? Doing good about yourself, man. Pretty good. Feeling feeling chill today. Yeah? Because it's so cold outside, or...? Partially that, partially <laughs> this uh, fever dream of a movie we have to discuss. <laughs> that's that's not a bad um, way to describe it, fever dream. Yeah, I wanted to get that out right away. So today, we're finishing up our medieval fantasy block. I selected for us that we are going to be talking about Lucio Fulci's Conquest from 1983. Bonkers director who makes bonkers films. <laughs> that should be the whole official title, <laughs> Lucio Fulci's Conquest. <laughs> um hey, it would sell it on me. Um, but it's like, it's his one foray into doing like the sword and sorcery fantasy film, which was like a whole whole little like mm-hmm. spree to itself. And we'll, we'll get into that. Do you think he understood the assignment? <laughs> well, we'll see. Okay, we'll see. all right. Um, but yeah, before that, I guess, what have you been watching? I don't really have a shout out this time. Um, you know what? We're on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network and we love it. And you can go and check out all the other cool shows that are out there. One day I will continue my conquest of listening to every single one. So that we can have an in-depth little review on each one. But hey, I mean, so far they've all been awesome. So, that's super cool. Yeah, that's a plus. I mean, of course, if someone sucked, we wouldn't exactly point that out. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. You're um, ruining the magic, Jason. Oh, <laughs> sorry. The podcast magic. All right. So I've actually watched a few movies lately, but I'm going to concentrate on one. Because um, I've been catching up with some of the Oscar-nominated films. Okay, Like sure. Banshees of Inisherin, very yeah, good. Yeah, I wanted to watch that. Highly recommend it. Mm. Uh, the Fablemans, very good. Highly recommend it. What about uh, Babylon? Did you check out Babylon? I did not check out oh. Babylon. I don't think that's what I'm going to check out. <laughs> I'm not as interested in that one. Okay. Pinocchio. The Toro's Pinocchio, I watched it. It was good. Yeah, Michael really liked that one. Yeah. So. Um, but I want to talk about a piece of trash. Oh, okay. Called Nightmare at Noon. Nightmare at Noon. From 1988. Is this one of the many like lost slashers that end up being not so great? No, it's classified as an action sci-fi horror. It's by Nico uh, Masterekis, okay. who did Island of Death. Oh, okay. Which we're both yeah. big fans of. Is this as mean spirited or? Uh, no, no. Mm. no. Too bad. It stars Wings Hauser, Bo Hopkins, and George Kennedy. Okay. If you watch the trailer, and this is streaming on Arrow now, if you watch the trailer, it's fucking awesome because it's about um, these this small town's water supply gets contaminated intentionally by Brian James. Mm. Um. And so, and then he, he's part of this, <laughs> what are they? They're the, um, it's not the EPA, it's the APE, <laughs> Agency of like protecting the environment or some crap like that. So it's like flipped it basically. Exactly. Mm. So like in the eighties, like all bad guys were part of the EPA, you know, like Walter yeah. Peck or whatever. So they're, they're uh, observing this town to see the effects of this chemical that they put in there. So it makes people turn green and they become zombies and start killing people. Hmm. Like it's not really zombies, more more infected. So the first, I mean, I did the same thing, really. Yeah. I don't know. So the first like half hour is pretty cool because this old mm-hmm. dude goes on a rampage and starts shooting everybody, and then it just oh my god, the last half hour <laughs> it comes to a screeching halt. 
The last half hour is literally people climbing on rocks and shooting at, e- at each other from like 100 feet away. Oh, okay. It's one of those things where someone will take a few shots, get behind a rock. The other person takes a few <laughs> shots, they get behind a rock. They obviously ran out of material. Mm-hmm. So it's a little uh, little devil story there with the guy trying to shoot the horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn horse! <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I cannot recommend it at the end of the day. If it had uh-huh. kept up the momentum from the first half hour mm-hmm. and just been like crazy and constant action. They rented a couple of helicopters at the very end. They were very proud of that. <laughs> um, but, wow, oof, yeah, it's just, it was very disappointing. It had so much potential to be like a good bad, hmm. but it, it's just mediocre bad. That's unfortunate. It is. Well. Circle back for Island of Death if you've never seen it. That's yeah, that's good. Go watch that one. How about you, man? What have you been watching? So I have an update first of just a previous thing I talked about. Uh-huh. I saw in the news that the Japanese remake of Cube is coming to Screenbox. Really? So there. you Finally one you can get at here within like a month or so when it drops. That's pretty awesome. But you also didn't have a very glowing recommendation for it. I did not, but I know I know out there there are people like me, the uh, the cube completists, sure. that will need to watch this. All the other cubists out there. Yeah, all the other cubists. Um, <laughs> keep your expectations low, but you know, check it off your list, I guess. Um, cool that they picked it up, I guess, because I kind of wondered where Screenbox was going to go. And I've noticed they've licensed several other recent like Japanese horror things from the last few years. Uh-oh. I think they tried to get some of the uh, the Cursed Village films that uh, Takashi Shimizu has been doing. Mm. Nice. So if they kind of branch into that more... That if they would, keep getting more Asian stuff, I'll yeah, definitely pick it up then. That would make me cycle back to subscribe. Because so. we need more, especially Japanese content, mm-hmm. and that and you know, classic HK stuff. Hell yeah. <sighs> Otherwise, I'm not biting on Screenbox just yet. <sighs> It was a little more, a little tempting bait in the water. There, I mean, but... if they want to pay us, <laughs> <laughs> I assure you, they most certainly do not. Um, so let's see. I got two to talk about this time. Okay, cheater. So um, we got to keep our numbers up because Michael's not here. That's true, I guess. Uh, let's see. So first, let's talk about a Japanese film. Because why not? Still, why not? Why the hell not? Um, I checked out one that was pretty recent. It was from 2021. And it's kind of got two titles. It's got a title it had in Japan, and then they gave it an international title, I guess, when it played at film festivals. So the Japanese title is Hell's Garden. The English language title is Office Royale. Okay. Two very different titles. Um, so it follows this 26-year-old woman who's just your standard, unassuming office lady. Her name's Naoko. And she works at a typical big corporation where they have all the different departments, the sales department, this department, that department. And it's kind of meant to be this like action comedy where they take the idea of like office life and working in an office, but they contrast it with the concepts of like a delinquent girls manga, where you have like the girl boss gangs that are like fighting each other for control. Okay. So like each department is its own girl gang with like a look and a motif to them with a leader, and they're like fighting one another, and they literally like go out and like fist fight each other like a girl delinquent film in Japan. Mm-hmm. But it's they're in like office clothes, and it's as a metaphor for like the drama and arguments that happen in the office, yeah, backstabbing and all that stuff. Um, and then it starts to escalate where like one random badass chick shows up and gets hired to the company, and she kind of like takes down all the gangs and unites them, which is again a very like typical trope of those kind of stories. Mm-hmm. And then it escalates into well, then other gangs at other companies 
start to fight them and it's this whole thing of like oh that's like a hostile takeover Um. and if you beat the other boss like that company falls under this one so it seemed like a neat concept that was like could be funny and there was a lot of like commentary you could make about sure work bs especially the workaholic japanese you know philosophy Um, a lot of cool actors and actresses in it um but it stumbled for me when like it kind of focused more on just being like hey here's like a girl delinquent manga done in an office setting and they didn't really lean into a lot of like i guess the social commentary they could have made Mm -hmm. it was like they thought the self-evident concept of women dressed up as office ladies having like big epic fight scenes would be funny enough okay and it kind of just wasn't it kind of just goes through like a typical plot one of those mangas would have and it's a wasted premise well there wasn't enough meat to that premise even though it was a cool idea right so that's, um, that's unfortunate. I don't think it's actively on anything, but um, it played... Till Screenbox gets it. Till Screenbox gets it, maybe, because <laughs> it played like every festival here the last few years. Ah. It was on like the streaming selection. Um, so, yeah. It, okay. If you like those kind of like delinquent Japanese films, it's worth watching, I guess, just because you'll know the tropes, and that's kind of interesting to see, but... Can't yeah. recommend it otherwise. It, it, it'll, it'll never top any one of those from like the 70s. They're just like peak. Right. Uh, yeah, so whatever. Um, other thing I want to talk about is... Japanese film. Not a Japanese film. <laughs> so the other night, Tiffany and I fell asleep watching stuff on TV. Mm-hmm. And it, I, well, I think it was on like Hulu. And so like I woke up in the middle of the night and it had like jumped through like going through several things. And like <laughs> that, that carousel of like, oh, you watch this. Well, now you're going to watch this if you just leave it to its own devices. Um, and I ended up waking up when one of those Hulu Into the Dark films started. Uh, now, this is that Blumhouse series where they were trying to do like a movie a month and they're themed around that time. So if there's like a holiday, they make it set on that holiday. Um, and it's their whole thing of like getting like newer, younger directors in yeah. to give them like a shot to make a film. Mm-hmm. Um, and rarely are those good. I'll just come out and say I, that. I've heard they weren't very good. Um, but this one was one from the 2019 set that they did, and it was called Pure. And it's about these teen girls that get taken to a purity retreat by their overbearing religious fathers. Mm, boy. And it's one of those things where it's like you, they kind of try to instill you know, the good religious teachings into <laughs> it's you. It's already creepy. And um, they, it also, it's all supposed to build up to then they take a purity pledge at the end where they like pledge themselves, you know, that whole BS of they yeah. pledge their virginity to their fathers to be protected till they're married. And, <laughs> it's so fucking creepy, um, man. <laughs> it was really great starting out because it really leaned into how fucking creepy this idea is yeah, and just how disturbing and twisted it is. Um, but then where it goes into like a weird, like more conventional horror film plot where it's like the, the girls while they're there they do this like supernatural ritual that one of them had heard about that had to do with like summoning Lilith. And mm. then they start to see like her spirit around everywhere. Lilith is an underused antagonist in horror films. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and it keeps like popping up and there'll be some like jump, like typical Blumhousey jump scare kind of things going on mm. where it's like, it's there, there's that stinger and then it's not there. Um, mm. And then it kind of just builds up to a big climax of like the purity ceremony and all the drama and stuff flows over and like a kid tries to kill herself hmm. and then it causes the lead to get possessed by Lilith and then go on like a rampage and punish the fathers. That's fun. Um, it's one of those things where it sounds cooler that I say it now than it was while I watched it. Right. Um, I think I would have given it like a three maybe. Sure. Uh, 
Neat, neat premise, though. I like okay. that concept. So worth watching yeah. if, if you fall asleep and he, <laughs> it just happens to come on. <laughs> yeah, if it happens to come on and you don't have anything else to do, it's fine to leave it on. Well, that's, that's think, a cool concept, be though, because, I mean, a few things are... Oh. I, I've never understood fathers over interest in their daughter's virginity you know i mean it's just it's it's fucking creepy <laughs> you know um and it was directed by hannah mcpherson um who you might know for doing that movie sick house which was the weird like posed as a live documentary that was like live streamed and it was like it was like a fake live stream but it was actually a movie okay i don't think i've seen that or heard much um, about it honestly it got some buzz for the premise of that concept hmm did you see it? Is it good? Yeah, it's it's fun. It's good if you like found footage. No, I like found um, footage. So I think to have done that and then do this concept as a film, even if it didn't all shake out for me, I liked I liked what they were trying enough to okay. say like, hey, I think it's worth uh, checking out. All right, sweet. So yeah, I think that's my two. There was another Into the Dark I watched because another one just popped up after that. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about it just so briefly. It'll be real quick. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called Crawlers. It was from 2020. Uh, it was this thing where it's like St. Patrick's Day and there's a college town with like a big drunk party going on and then like a meteor hits and there's like body swapping aliens that take over and a ragtag group of kids have to like try to survive. Okay. Um, it's basically like attack the block if it was just really fucking boring. So attack the block. And <laughs> like there was nothing compelling about it at all. Okay. You don't like Attack the Block? Actually, I didn't. Uh, I think it has some cool visuals and like... There were some cool visuals. Chase th- moments. And I think it was the scenes. characters because yeah. I give zero fucks for any of the characters in that movie. This is kind of the same. Um, the lead was like the only... like the. I guess she's not the main character but she's like the narrator of the story. Mm-hmm. She was interesting but then everyone else was just like I, I don't care about your weird college drama. Right. Because aliens are invading. You know, Yeah. Just, it's a bit more important. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there you go. Avoid that one. <laughs> uh, never hurts to look into the Into the Dark films. Give them a shot, because why not? Oh, why not? And it's, I appreciate the swings. Even Especially if, if you already have Hulu, you know? Yeah. It's on there, so why not? I'm going to waste two hours of your life. That's fine. <laughs> you could never get them back, but you know. It's whatever. <laughs> what else are you going to do other than watch movies? <laughs> So today we are talking about the one and the only Lucio Fulci and his film Conquest from 1983. Indeed. Genre on this, kind of the same for all the ones we've done. The official tags are action, adventure, fantasy. I've also seen horror thrown in there. That was the first thing I was going to bring up is I would Mm -hmm. like to submit the horror tag on this because... I think just because of the gore and some of the the brutal kills, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And some of the monsters. Yeah, there's some really interesting monster designs in this. And also, it's maybe a stretch, but I would maybe tag it with, like, weird fantasy. Which I know that's not, like, a super commonly thrown around thing, but... Yeah. Um, it certainly is weird. <laughs> it's certainly, certainly weird, certainly strange, uh, bizarre, a little surrealist. Um, but it feels like one of those stories you could have read in weird tales at the same time as, like, Howard and everyone else. Yeah, there definitely is a kind of Robert E. Howard influence on it. Mm-hmm. I think Conan was a big inspiration for this movie. For sure, for sure. Because it's much less of a... Um, it's not so much medieval as it's almost like primeval. Yeah. You know, or more of a Stone Age, Bronze Age right, right. type adventure. So we'll get into some of the clues on that that's like, you can really tell there's... It's an interesting era that it's set in. Mm-hmm. 
And it's also interesting to point out before we really get into it that this came at a time it was this was during Fulci's downward slope in his yeah. career, I would say. I charted this out because I thought we should talk for a little bit about how it's an interesting time for Fulci and his filmography. So yeah. the two films that preceded this directly before was Manhattan Baby, which was like his riff on a uh, exorcist kind of thing. And not one I cared for. <laughs> it's got some neat ideas, but yeah, it's pretty rough. And then before that was New York Ripper, which was kind of his last major, major giallo. And man, what a great one. I know a lot of people don't like it, but dude, it's so mean-spirited. It's so... Oh, no. It's, oh, it hits you hard. Yeah, it's nasty. I mean, it's... Yeah. Is, <laughs> is it a good movie? Not really, but there's some great gore in it. Oh, yes. You will be entertained. Uh-huh. Killer soundtrack, too. Yes. Um, so then we have Conquest, which we're talking about today. And that was followed by his one stab at the post-apocalyptic genre with Warriors of the Year 2072, which you and I have watched together and... Mm-hmm. I think we have said before it's kind of dull a yeah little bit. um then that was followed up with the absurd murder rock which is it's fun for all the wrong reasons fucking amazing yeah um and then that was followed by probably one of the weirdest films he ever made the devil's honey which <laughs> yeah. yes is the saxophone masturbation one yeah which i do have a soft spot for that one <laughs> definitely needs to be seen if you're a fulci aficionado but that's probably one of the last ones worth mentioning in his oeuvre yeah. after that. It was just... And it's also so disappointing that this came so close after you know, classics like City of the Living Dead and The Beyond. Mm-hmm. And New York Ripper. I'll throw that one so in there. I think there. if you even go one step before New York Ripper, that's uh, House at the Edge of the Cemetery. Yes. Which was the last of that little cycle with The Beyond and City of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Which is well regarded, but I think it's fairly weak. But yeah, that's me. Well, I threw these in there, so maybe before we go into the film proper, let's talk about this. What film was your introduction to Fulci, the first one you saw? Oh, um, that would have to be City of the Living Dead. Oh, really? Cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. I watched it when I was a teenager. I think I had rented most of the other movies in the horror section, and that was one I just hadn't got to for some reason. So it was just on the shelf. Yeah, it was just on the shelf. It had a cool cover. Mm. Um, it was The Gates of Hell. Right, right. Of the that. other title. Yeah. Mm. Cool. So I'm like, right, I'll pick this up, you know. And uh, funny enough, I was eating uh, like Chinese food, like some noodles. Oh, man. During it. <laughs> with all the maggots and stuff and everything. Yeah. I was like, mm, I don't know about this. <laughs> Not feeling this anymore. And when it got to the scene, the famous scene where she vomits up her you know, guts and all that. Mm-hmm. That was, <laughs> it was profoundly affecting to me. Because <laughs> I was already getting like, kind of a gore hound by then. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen some gory stuff, but that was one of the goriest things I had seen at that point. And I was probably like 14. I think probably the first time I saw that one, too, it was that, that scene really got me. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, that's kind of gross. I felt, I felt a little <laughs> sick. And also, just to say it, uh, teleporting zombies, how cool a concept. <laughs> right. You don't see that too often. What was your introduction to Fulci? Um, so mine was definitely zombie, which I think for that's, a lot of people, that's going to sure. be your first one. That, you that's just, a great jumping off point. If you stumble right into him with no other direction... Um, and for me, it was that typical thing of like, I was in high school and I'd heard like, dude, there's this Italian sequel to Dawn of the Dead <laughs> that technically has no connection, but it, they've marketed it as a sequel. And the zombie fights a shark. <laughs> and then I was always on the lookout for it. And I think like our local Hastings, they got, maybe it was like the first blue underground DVD mm. version that they put out. And when I saw it, I snatched it up immediately, took it home and watched it. And my mind was like fucking blown, dude. Yeah. Like. Uh, the zombie fighting the shark, first things. Then the crazy eye trauma. Yeah. 
which is a Fulci feature, mm-hmm. you should say. Um, yeah, and it blew me away. And then I was just on the hunt. Like, anytime I could see, like, Fulci, where's that name? Fulci. And I think it was City of the Living Dead was my next one. Mm-hmm. And that was because I knew his name at that point and saw it. Nice. Yeah. Crazy. So then that, that said, that's, that's where you started. And this might be hard, but what is your favorite Fulci film? Oh, The Beyond. It's the not Beyond. hard at all. Yeah. I, I, I think The Beyond is a true masterpiece. I really do. It's a legend. I think it's his most well-shot film. It's the most... I mean, the story, again, is very minimal, but that's all of his movies. But it has a very creepy kind of vibe to it. Yeah. There's never a boring moment. You, know, you don't go five minutes without something happening. How about you? It's hard. It's so hard. Because he is one of my favorite directors, and mm-hmm. what I like about him is he is like... Uh, I guess what I find in all the directors I really, really like, it's the thing of like... Uh, he is very stylistic in the way he makes movies because of who he is and how he is. And that like bleeds into every film he makes. Mm-hmm. And once you've seen a few, you then like recognize like, like to like every time you see one of his movies, right. Um, reoccurring concepts and motifs. And I love directors that do that. So it's hard to just say, Oh, it's this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you like put the gun to me and said like, pick his best, the beyond you're right. It probably is his masterpiece. Yeah. Now other ones I love more than that. I don't know. Maybe kind of, um, I have a huge soft spot for City of the Living Dead because that that did blow me away the first time I saw it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think you can't understate how important his Jolly films are. Some of them, like Don't Torture a Duckling, that's like one of the greats in the entire subgenre. Yeah, true. And it's so unique that it does the like rural setting instead Mm -hmm. of the very like focused on high life in the urban city. Right. Uh, That is a good one. So yeah, uh, some shakeup between those three, probably. Cool. All excellent choices. Nice. Little faulty talk before we go in on this film. Well, I think one thing, something I want to talk about whilst we discuss this movie is that I think Fulci was only ever as good as the technicians he surrounded himself with. True. And I will expand upon that <laughs> as we go on to Conquest. All right, nice. Um, I guess I'll hit us with the synopsis. A young man armed with a magical bow and arrow. Oh, that's a weird way to write that. A young man armed with a magical bow and arrows embarks on a mystical journey through a mystical land to rid of all evil and ends up joining forces with an outlaw to take down a witch bent on claiming the magic bow for herself. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the plot. That's pretty much the entire plot. It's a very simple yeah. plot. Yeah. <laughs> not uh, not reinventing the wheel here. Folks, no. But... No. Um, and it starts off... I, I got big Clash of the Titans vibe from the beginning. Did yeah. you? It's weird. It's like this dreamy, it's kind of foggy, kind of blurry. And the whole movie shot pretty <laughs> much that way. Intentionally so. Um, which is my first gripe with people that really criticize this movie. They're like, hey, it's shot bad. And it's like, no, it's not shot bad. This They were trying to do a thing. It's intentionally shot that yeah. way. They didn't leave it out of focus, you yeah. know, accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had made enough movies at this point that that's not like... Right. Right. You're not going to stumble into that and be like, whoop. We didn't know. <laughs> but also, in this part in particular, it's kind of shot like a dream because yeah, the, yeah. the characters are almost, they're like semi-transparent. Yeah, and it's a neat vibe that's like, you can see the location clearly and then it's like, they're there but not there. Yeah. And it's like, are they are they phantoms? Is this like a memory that we're seeing? Yeah, and that's where I got the Clash of the Titans thing because they look kind of like they're gods or something. Yeah. You know, they're dressed sort of like Romans. They got the hotogas and all that kind of thing going. And the way they're arrayed too, it's almost uh, ritual-like. In a way. Right, right. Uh, which we kind of realize what it is. They're doing like a going away ceremony for Ilias, mm-hmm. our main character. Yep. He's going to go out in the world to fight evil. Played by Andrea Ochipinti. Yes. Um, his father gives him a magic bow and tells him a story about 
how it belonged to this other hero. Yeah, and he uh, called down the sun for its power to energize him to fight evil. Yep. And, uh, and one thing you'll discover quickly, not just from the credits, but the music, is that the score yep. is by Claudio Simonetti of Goblins fame. And it fucking slaps, dude. Oh, it's like, great. It's, it's, it's one of the best <laughs> things about the movie. Very Goblin-esque. It's a little incongruous sometimes, <laughs> but it's so good, it doesn't matter. When, like, the bassy synth comes in and it's just the da 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 Ah. So good. And there's definitely kind of like Dawn of the Dead vibes yeah. as far as score goes. In That's it. a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah, but basically, um, they, they, it's a little talk about like he's going on this quest. Basically, it's like a thing for like, they say there's a time that you'll, you know, like st- stop being a child and become a man. Mm-hmm. And by choosing to go on this quest, he's showing all this courage. Yeah. It's kind of like kind of like a rite of passage almost. I didn't want to say his armor sucks, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's very ineffective. His yeah. old midriff is exposed, you know. <laughs> It's uh, it's kind of like the joke, like chainmail bikini thing. Yeah. About, like, why is the women's armor not fully covering? Right, it's doing nothing for you. <laughs> and it certainly doesn't help Ilias as we'll learn as we go. <laughs> it does not. Um, but yeah, with their... I mean, he's a ranged fighter, though, right? He's yeah. got the bow. He's not going to get in melee, right? <laughs> no way. Why would he? Uh, so then we cut to some sort of a tribe. You know, I also want to say they yeah. only give him like. Five, six arrows. Yeah. And that's also a weird decision. And we also find out he carries them in his boot, which is not a good place <laughs> to carry your arrows. I mean, they're going to fall out so easy. When you're a full quiver, that's just awkward to walk around in, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he was set up for failure, honestly. I mean, I'm just saying, if he were a D&D character, he's like one where you rolled all tens and nines or something. And... <laughs> right. <laughs> he's definitely played by a noob. <laughs> Uh, so they got some sort of a tribe. Yeah, and they're all just hanging out in a open field, kind of. Yeah, and there's like some rocks outcropping mountains, and 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 this is where we start getting a lot of the smoke mm-hmm. from this movie. Lots of smoke. The the and it, it's not ineffective, mm-hmm. you know, because it gives it kind of that a primal. Yeah, an age that's lost or something. Kinda. Yeah, and and it still upholds that dreamlike vibe too of like, what are you watching right now? You're right. you're in a strange place. Um. And we meet uh, a, a masked woman mm-hmm. who is topless, and she's like singing on top of this rock outcropping, doing some sort of ritual or something. Yeah. Turns uh, out her name is um, Okron. So sometimes they say Okron, sometimes mm-hmm. they say Okron. Yeah. What do you uh, prefer? Uh, I, guess, I guess Okron. Okron. I don't know. Okron. It's a strange name. We'll say both. Sure. Um, she's an evil sorceress. Topless woman. <laughs> she's basically constantly naked for the whole film, other than she has like a little like string bikini bottom kind of thing yeah, going on. Yeah, like, it's got like spikes on it. Spikes on it. And mm-hmm. then she's got a badass like metal mask Yeah. that completely encompasses her head. Um, although it looks more like it's kind of like a foam that's been painted to look like metal. Sure. A little bit. Yeah. And it's very much kind of like a, like a, a man in the iron mask sort yeah. of look to it. It's a cool look. Yeah, I mean, she looks like she'd be on the cover of some 80s metal CD or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's served by an array of cultists that are in these strange masks and armor, and mm-hmm. also straight up beastmen, which is another classic uh, sword and sorcery staple. Yeah, I did appreciate them. They have a good look to them, too. It's almost, it, it looks like they're kind of ripping off, like, Chewbacca from Star yeah. Wars a little bit, but... Yeah, I dug it. Like I can, I can get down with that. Yeah, there are some shots where they look a little cute. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> especially like a head-on shot because mm-hmm. you can't see their snouts are long, and they, it looks like a little Pekingese or something. 
<laughs> um, yeah, but we quickly learn that Okran has dominated this land, and they all kind of have to swear fealty to her and live at her her whims, because she has like ensorcelled the sun, and it only rises at her command. Yes. And so unless she wills it to rise, they are locked forever and night. Sure. And I guess they're attacking another tribe. Yeah. Is what's happening here. Yeah. There's not a lot of. There's rarely a lot of plot quests, <laughs> plot like uh, context for things that go on, and it's very much like uh, it, it feels like someone's D and D session being described to you because it's like it, <laughs> it encounter, it encounter, really encounter. It's like, well, first we fought this. Yeah. Okay, then this thing popped out, and then this thing popped out. <laughs> we fought that. Yeah, yeah, and then we fought that, and then I got a magic weapon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like the village elders, uh, talking to the attackers and he's like, he's offering them food, like game mm-hmm. if they leave him alone. But the beasts say that they want like man flesh, you know? Mm-hmm. And the elder like offers himself. He's like, no, we want some, something young. And he says, uh, take me, spare the rest. Yeah. But he gets hit over the head for this. And then we get our first shot of gore there. Yeah. His skull busts open. Yeah. <laughs> it's like brains everywhere. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is a Fulci film. Okay. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Earn the R rating. Don't mm-hmm. uh, don't go right from Lord of the Rings to this. Especially the next scene where two yeah. of the beastmen grab a young topless girl and turn her into a wishbone. Yeah, they literally just split her apart yeah. in half. Just by pulling her legs apart. Yeah. And the effect is like, for the budget, it's really good. It's pretty good. Yeah. The, way, did... they, the way they kind of frame the shot and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I guess they cut off her head because they take the girl's head to Ocran. Yeah, to her lair. And <laughs> she eats the brains. Yeah, that's how you get their smarts. And I guess right? they, they use the brains to turn into some sort of a drug. Yeah, they they create a weird drug from it, and then they take turns like they're like blowing it into each other's yeah. mouths and stuff like that. It's weird. Yeah. And uh, so Akron's doing the drugs mm-hmm. <laughs> and like writhing around she, on, the, on the ground. She gets high as fuck. And uh, she has a vision. She has to, well, let's set this up. She starts masturbating with a snake. True, true. I forgot the snake. And part. during this, she has a vision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a weird film, man. Just it's, it's, it is what it is. Um, but in this vision, she sees uh, a beautiful young man whose face is obscured, but is clearly Ilias. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of rushing toward her and approaching her and, and raises the bow and fire, fires this arrow of light that pierces her heart. And it kind of her heart just kind of explodes the yes. way the effect looks. Um, but yeah, she's foreseen her own death, mm-hmm. and she realizes that uh, she needs to stop this faceless youth and prevent him yeah. from bringing the bow to her. Whoever this guy is, he's going to kill me, so he needs to die. And she sends forth her beastmen and says, "Go, go find this guy mm-hmm. with this bow." Fly, monkeys, fly! Yeah. Meanwhile. We see another topless woman <laughs> uh, by the riverside. Yeah. And there's a snake creeping up on her. Uh, but suddenly it gets shot. And I like that a lot of times they have these moments with snakes because it's kind of like, that's clearly like Okran's familiar, right? It's like yeah. it's, it's all snakes seem to just follow her commands. Right. Um, they never draw attention to it, but it's like a subtle little flavor for like the world, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, so he shoots a snake, mm-hmm. and the girl's like, ah, and runs off. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's uh, Ilias doing this, yep. of course. He says, that'll trouble you no more. And there are beastmen watching. So that does kind of support your theory that maybe the snake is out scouting, too. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and the beastmen are like, oh, that's the dude. He's got a bow. 
which they've never really seen a bow. Yeah. That's the first like neat thing we learn is that this land has never even conceived of the idea of such a thing as a bow. Right. Whereas for Ilias, it was, you know, this relic that was handed down to him. Mm-hmm. And he did cross over on the ocean, so yeah. he must live on some island that's isolated, more advanced. You, you got to suppose a lot about what's going on here. <laughs> you do, but it, I mean, it, it fits and it feels right, so... Sure. So I'm cool with it. Yeah. Um. So they attack him, and yeah, he's got his arrows in his boots. He's looking at like six of them, yeah, I don't know. He, he immediately he, empties he all the shots, kills a few of them, but oh wait, there's way more than he had arrows for. Yep. So he's getting beaten up, and uh, he, he managed to take some of them out. Uh, but then someone shows up to save his bacon. Yes, a very Conan-like individual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> he is, of course, he's buff. He's wearing like animal skins and stuff, furs. And he's got like some kind of a sling and flail combination. Okay, I'm just going to call it what it is, and it's bone nunchucks. Bone nunchucks? <laughs> All right, it's two bones tied yeah. together with a cord, and he like spins and flails them around. Yes. So it's pretty much a Stone Age <laughs> flail. Right. But he's good with them. Yeah. He's kicking their asses. I like, too, that he uses the cord sometimes to like catch attacks. That's true. Yeah, he's like wrapping them around mm. the spears and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a very it's a very weird choice, but also a very unique choice. It makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, he saves Ilias. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly this sort of, like, nomadic outlaw guy. Ilias is unconscious at first, right? I'm pretty sure. He, I think yeah. he comes to pretty quickly. Because he, um, he asks who the, who the guy is. And he says his name is Mace. And he has no friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, uh, I think I have the quote about this. Because he says that, you know, he has no friends. And he says that man's not my friend. And Ilias kind of inquires a little bit. And what Mace ends up saying is, when a man meets a man, you never know which one will die. But when an animal meets a man, it's always the animal that dies. So I'm on the animal's side. And then that's when they've, I think they've like gotten some food or something. Yeah. And Elias is like, well, isn't that the animal that you're eating? And then he's like, oh, I didn't kill this one. I just found it. <laughs> right. Yeah. To which Elias is like, well, that's a weird rule to live by. And he's like, it's not weird when you're hungry. So he's <laughs> yeah. very, very practical and very, he's very practical. But um, he's definitely like a ranger beast master type. Yeah. If you assigned a D and D class, I was thinking ranger for sure. Mm-hmm. But he is um, amazed at the bow. Cause he's never yeah. seen one before and he wants to know how to use it. So he said that he'll take Ilias with him, travel with him. If he will show him how to use the bow, which is a pretty fair trade. Yeah. And I like their dynamic that like, if this were any other sort of thing, like Mace would just take the bow and be like, fuck you, it's mine now. Right. But he literally, like, he wants to learn from Ilias mm-hmm. and he, he gives him the bow back readily. It's not like he's just going to yeah, take it. Right. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic, I thought. <laughs> it's, yeah. compared, compared to what it could have been. Definitely. Um, so the beastmen go back to Ocran and. He's got like a, you know an arrow in his leg, and he's talking about <laughs> Ilias, and like we saw him, you know, we know where he's at. He's definitely the one. And she just grabs the arrow out of his leg, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> that was funny." Um, so he sends, she decides to send her best beast man to go find him. Mm-hmm. Fado, is that I, his name? I think that's the name she gives. Yeah, which is awfully close to Fido. <laughs> and when you have a dog-looking character, you really don't want to name something so close to Fido. <laughs> 
Uh, there's not a lot of names in this, though, because I, I noticed just looking at the IMDb credits. Um, yeah, there's like four named characters. The woman he saves that's kind of prominent, a few other scenes. Her name is never given. It's mm-hmm. just Girl Ilias Saves from the Snake. Yep, that's it. <laughs> there's like four named characters, maybe five. And this is the part that was weird to me, because we cut to Mace, and he just shoots some random guy with the arrow. Yeah, they're just coming up on a guy on the road, and you think it's going to be like a hail, traveler, where yeah. where are we, where's this? No, he takes a fucking arrow right <laughs> to the chest. And Ilias and Mace you know, go down there to him, and they don't seem phased, so they just Man. shot this guy. He wasn't, he wasn't assaulting them, he wasn't doing anything wrong, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. And this is where that quote happens, I think, because yeah, the guy they kill had he, like a he animal. game with yeah. him, yeah. And they take his game as he's laying there dying. <laughs> so, I mean, I get Mace doing this because obviously this is a sort of the world where, you know, yeah. you do what you got to do to survive. Might mix right. But Ilias doesn't seem to care. They just shot this innocent man. <laughs> well, you know, uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's when I get that quote. And uh, so they're camping out in the cave, right? Mm-hmm. There's a little tribe that they find. It's where the it's where the girl returns to. It's like her group. I think there's a scene before that because the beastmen come upon them and they're using fire. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they set all those branches yeah. and, and shrubbery and stuff on fire. True, true, yeah. And then they decide they're trapped, but they see another snake, and it's like so. There's down this hole, and Mace is like, "Oh, that's the way out." So they like move some boulders mm-hmm. or whatever, and they go down into this cavern. But they're kind of trapped there. Yeah, I mean, that's just a padding for experience, really. The scheme of this, <laughs> right. Scheme of this adventure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. That happens. And then after that is when they find the tribe in the cave. Yes. They get out of that situation. They find the tribe. And yeah, Elias sees the girl they saw by the river. And it's interesting because uh, it's so like story light. A lot of it's just their adventure. But every now and again, we get little hints of the world through Mace because when they're joining this village, little like tribe, um, he asks, Ilias asks him, like, Oh, do you come here often? And he's like, Ah, oh, now and again. And he points out, like, one of the women that's excited to see him. Yeah. And then he's like, Hey, Ilias, do you want to sleep with her? Yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of like, Oh, no, not really. And he's like, You could have her sister then. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Oh, is that, is like, he's like, Is that your woman? And he's like, Well, she is every time I show up here. Yeah, when I'm here, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they're camping out and eating, and the girl that he had saved kind of leads him off down the caverns. Yeah. They're going to have a little bit of fun, it seems. But no. <laughs> no, surprise, more beastmen. More beastmen show up. and They immediately fucking kill the girl. She is straight up just murdered. Hit in the head again. More blood, more brains. Romance subplot is gone well before the movie has <laughs> progressed. Yep. Um, and Mace is attacked, and he's knocked out. Mm-hmm. They get the drop on him. He wakes up to find the entire tribe slaughtered, mm-hmm. and Elias is gone. And they took the bow. And they took the bow. And Mace is furious, because he liked these people. He liked the people. Even though he seemed to not like people in general. Yeah. Seems like he at least vibed with them a little bit. Um, so then we see Elias being dragged along by the bad guys, uh, but he sees hawks flying above. And takes that as a sign that Mace will shortly be there. Because we've seen that Mace has a relationship with the Hawks. He, like, healed one. And... Yeah, he, like, killed one that was injured. And He's there's... a ranger. He's a ranger. And there's a time where I think it's when they're hunting, Ilias is going to shoot a Hawk. And then Mace is like, wait, no. Let those go. Yeah. He likes Hawks. It's his thing. 
<laughs> and, and I like it too if we want to talk about like D&D concepts in film. Um, I like how this shows a different type of ranger than the ranger you normally think of if you say... Like Aragorn. Yeah, like normally you're going to think of Aragorn... But, you know, Mace is a ranger by D&D concept. It's just a different flavor. Yeah, it's more of a Beastmaster mm-hmm. kind of subclass, really. Which is cool. I like that. Yeah. Not the Beastmaster. No. Not Mark Singer. <laughs> Let's not get these two confused. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, so Mace sneaks into the enemy's camp and saves Ilias. And this is a long-ass fight. It is he, a long-ass fight. He just fight. slaughters them. Yeah. He kicks their asses. He's pissed <laughs> off. Um, he kills most of them. A few retreat. Notably, Fado, he he books it out of there, mm-hmm. uh, and he he returns in failure to uh, Okran, which is a mistake. <laughs> it is a mistake because then he just gets tortured to death. Yeah, and it's it's fucking cruel, man. They get this giant hot plate, yeah, and like lay him on him and like burn and start to melt him yeah. while he's alive. And it's actually kind of a cool effect with the the heat from the plate, like yeah. it's glowing red and stuff. And you know it was done practically. And the way they make like his body start to like goop out, yeah, as he's laying there, yeah, it's pretty effective. So now she's pissed, and she conjures the great Zora yeah. to help her kill Ilias. Seems to be like a demon or something, and she, she asks it to possess the body of this wolf that's in their entourage Yeah, to like manifest in their world. Yeah. And she's doing the snake thing again, notably. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's part of her magic. <laughs> Which Zora, when he appears, is just like a full-body like dude in armor. Yeah, he's like wearing an armored dress. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, not plate mail, but like little patches of... Mm-hmm. Armored plate all along it. And yeah, a mask. A lot of masks in this movie. And he basically asks, you know, what do you desire of me and what are you going to offer me to get it? Mm-hmm. So this is very much like that like sorcerer demon pack yeah, kind of thing going sure. on. And Street Up says, if you stop the Ilias, I'll give myself to you body and soul. I'll serve you forever. Mm-hmm. I'll be at your command. I mean, she's got a kicking body, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> she definitely gets a little seductive here, too, because she yeah. kind of drops to her knees and is draping herself <laughs> right. all over him. <laughs> that mask and, might get in the way. And she's but, like, you know, you know oh, great Zora, you have all these demons at your command. Yeah. <laughs> and, so he's like, all right, sounds like a good deal. <laughs> I mean, you know, what are you going to do when you're conjured up by a naked lady in an iron mask? <laughs> uh, meanwhile... Mace is talking with Ilias and says he'll take him close to where Okran lives, yeah. but he, he'll, to, he'll be on his own after that. Yeah, because Ilias decides, like, okay, I've, I've figured out every other problems here are coming from Okran. Mm-hmm. I set out to slay evil. I have to go take her out. And Mace is immediately like, this is a fool's errand. You can never defeat her. It's impossible. That's why I just kind of try to steer clear of her influence. Right. And stay, uh, like, under the radar, basically. Mm-hmm. But Ilias is determined because he, he's on a... Pursuit for a great quest, and this seems like a great quest. So. Yeah, definitely. And then we get another one of those great random encounters. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're like walking through a field, and there's these bushes, but they start like shooting animated spikes at them. Yeah, it's like quills or something. Yeah. So they're trying to hide from those and dodge them, but Ilias gets hit by one, and apparently they're poisoned. Oh, and there's some great effects while he's poisoned. <laughs> there's some goopy so. shit going on Yeah, here. he gets these weird, like, boils and pustules all over his body. Yeah, they and they start, start to spew, like, yeah. goopy liquid. It's pretty grody. And he immediately is like, Mace, I'm dying. Yeah. I, I'm not going to make it. But Mace knows that there's this herb that grows in the region mm-hmm. that can apparently treat any poison. Yep. So that's our next adventure. Right, so they got to go get this now. <laughs> they really need to beef up their party, though, because... Yeah. It's just two of them, and Ilias is 
<laughs> they they should have got more companions, yeah. you know, but no. I don't know if the budget didn't allow it or what. <laughs> uh, but while Mace is gathering up these plants, we cut back to Ilias and his wounds are getting worse. And there's ants crawling all oh, over yeah. him. It's, it's creepy. And Mace on his way back, he gets attacked by like some, some kind of bog zombie. Oh, and, a group of them. Yeah, and these are totally just like Fulci going full on like his horror motif. Yeah. Because these are the same sort of like in, in the zombie thing where they've been underwater for forever. They're goopy. They're waterlogged. They're very drippy. Yeah. They're grody. They're awesome looking. Yeah, they're pretty good. So, of course, he, he's fighting those off. And we don't really see exactly what happens, I think. It kind of cuts right. off before it's definitive. Because we get back to um, Ilias, and he's waking up, and there's Mace. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, oh, you're back. I'm dying. Urgh. He's got the bundle of flowers and plants yeah. in his arms. But then Mace like picks up a big rock, and he's like yep. going to crush Ilias' skull. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah, what's going on? But then another Mace shows up, <laughs> and they start fighting. Yeah, so it's some kind of like doppelganger of a sorts. Yeah, so then we get some you know, doubling action, and they're fighting each other, and... Also, I mean, and I think this is one of the reasons why we get all the smoke and stuff sometimes in the soft focus, because it hides things like this. You right. can't really tell it's a stunt double, because you can't see him that well. <laughs> and also, a lot of the shots, the sun's behind them. Yeah. So it gives us kind of a haze. Yeah, they're like silhouetted, almost. Yeah. So, I, I, watching this movie, I wondered how much of this was intentional. <laughs> it just worked out, actually. how much was yeah. an accident. Uh, I don't know, but it does work, is what I want to say. Yeah. It, it, especially cool. for this scene, it works pretty well. Eventually, Mace gets the upper hand. Mm-hmm. And we find out that the Zora, or we find out that the, the uh, copy of him is Zora under some kind of enchantment. Yeah. Yeah. And once he's revealed, he teleports away. Mm hmm. And then uh, Mace heals up Ilias. Yep. The plants work. They treat the poison completely, restore him. <laughs> and Ilias at this point is like, okay, maybe you're right. Fuck it. <laughs> this quest isn't worth it. Yeah. He's like disillusioned now. And he's yeah. like, you're right. I should just return home. I'm getting my ass handed to me. Which I think it was before now. It's maybe when they're staying with the tribe, but um, Ilias and Mace talk a little bit about his homeland. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, you know, there it's a place of peace. There is no fighting. There is no war. Everybody right. works together. And uh, Mace is just like, well, that sounds like an amazing place. Yeah, why would you want to leave? Why would you ever want to leave it? <laughs> um, and it's in this moment because Ilias decides he's going to go back. And he's like, hey, Mace, come with me. You, yeah. you can find peace there. You can have an easy life. Uh, but he refuses. He says, you know, this is my home. And yeah. I have to stay here. Right. And Ilias even offers Mace the bow. Yeah. But Mace says, no, no, the weapon's too dangerous for this land. I'll take it with yeah. you. He says, uh, this land is not ready for yeah. such a weapon. Because I mean, if he had it, he would just be the target all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. Which, that's cool. Yeah. It's a really like heroic thing of him. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Our hero's given up. <laughs> He's going to go back <laughs> home. And Mace goes his separate ways. And uh, Mace is walking along, and then he gets attacked by these really weird fuckers. They're like spider people. Yeah. Because they're humanoid. They're humanoid, but they're like covered in webs. Uh-huh. And they got like big black spider type eyes. Mm-hmm. And they talk like this, and it's kind of <laughs> weird and annoying. Yeah, that's a definite choice that they made. <laughs> and you know, they're not really in the credits, so. Right. <laughs> Unnamed spider people? Etter caps, maybe? If we were looking for the D&D equivalent. <laughs> they don't I, look as cool. I guess that's close, but... but... They all jump down on him. They got this net and they capture him. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> then we get back to Ilias, who's on his boat going back home. But then he remembers the words of his father. Yes. 
talking about how the great hero, how he didn't back down and didn't give up. And... Choose the path of courage. Yes. So he's like, what am I doing? He's like, I can't give up. I'm the hero. What, what the fuck? So then he turns his boat around. <laughs> Which is good because meanwhile they are uh, crucifying Mace. Yes. He, he's strung <laughs> up on a cross, basically. Which is interesting considering Solomon Kane. We have another film yeah, here we do. where yeah. that's going down. It's probably that kind of the barbarian influence again. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so the spider dudes are interrogating him. They want to know where his friend is. Yeah, where's Ilias? Where's the bow? Mm-hmm. And Mace is like, I don't know. <laughs> he left. <laughs> um, but he's not saying anything because he's a true hero. <laughs> but then Ilias shows up. Yep. But he's got no arrows. Yeah, they're all expended. But that's okay. Because now he's shooting energy bolts. Now that he's no longer depressed and he, he's mm-hmm. found his purpose and his courage, yep. he calls down the sun, just like the legend said, yep. and it makes these like laser bolt arrows. And his bow glows, he pulls back the string, gets these energy arrows. It's kind of like um, Hank from the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon. Yeah, that's a good comparison, yeah. actually. So he starts shooting these spider And men. it's amazing, because <laughs> he'll fire one, and then it like splits and multiplies into yeah. like enough arrows for every enemy in the area. Yeah. I've actually riffed on this, and in, in, in a and d game, I've had this be a magic item that yeah, someone found. That's cool. Yeah, and then a lot of the spider dudes are, like, falling in slow motion. That gets a little old. Yeah, it's a little, <laughs> little too drawn out on that. But it's hilarious also because the leader sees this happening, right? And he's like, hey, push Mace over into the water. <laughs> yeah. So they push Mace, and he's still tied up, and he falls into the ocean. And it starts sinking down to the bottom. And I love the shot where the one tries to hide behind the boulder, and then we learn that the laser bolts can go through yeah. solid objects. Yeah, and still, get, and all this blood's pouring out. Yeah, a little bit more gore for us. Uh, meanwhile, Mace is down there; and he's tied up. But then some dolphins come, which which then really makes me start to wonder, like, where are we in the world, right? Because <laughs> it looks like you're kind of like in a moorland or something almost. Uh huh. And. Yeah, there's a mention of an ocean, but it just didn't seem like... It felt weird that it was dolphins. Yeah. I just figured somewhere in the Mediterranean <laughs> or something, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, but these are like super smart dolphins, and they recognize Mace, and they want to help him. Mm-hmm. Well, this is also where the whole Beastmaster thing comes from, mm-hmm. you know, because you think maybe he's communicating with them. And, mm-hmm. But they come down, and you know, they start biting at the, the bonds and get those undone. Um... Let's see. And then that's where <laughs> Ilias comes down to try to find him, and he's yeah. washed up on the shore. Washed up on the shore. He's still alive. Spits up some water. He's like, I'll come back. I'm not chicken shit after all. He's like, I, I can't avoid this. We have to defeat Okrin. I want you to come with me. Let's fight mm-hmm. together. So we're like, all right. Well, these two are going to go in and kick ass. And now this seems like the point in the movie where it's like we've had our lowest point mm-hmm. and now they're like rededicated to the test. So now we're, now we're yeah. going into what should be the final act of them. Like, right. Because Elias almost right. died. Yeah. And he had the moment of doubt where he leaves. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's going to ignore the call. But no, then he answers it. Right. right. The hero's journey. Yeah. Hero's journey. Like plain and simple. That's, um, that's not what happens. That's not what happens. <laughs> that is not what happens. So that, that night where they're camping again. They're ambushed once more for like really, the 50th time. They got to set up some sort of a watch or something. You know? <laughs> ambushed again from underground. Elias gets dragged down there. And it's these weird, like subterranean mole monster. Yeah, we don't get a good things. look at these yeah. guys. They barely show them and it, it's effective in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, they probably also would have been ridiculous if they were in, <laughs> yeah, fully almost, in the frame. Right. 
But Mace jumps down there to rescue him. Um, has more slow motion fights with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big Mo dude, I guess, is what it is. I got a little tired of these slow motion scenes. Yeah, it was dragging a little bit here. Yeah. For sure. But then he defeats his opponent and and goes off looking for Ilias. Yeah, he heads deeper in the cave because they dragged him off, it seems. But shockingly, <laughs> he finds Ilias' body strung upside down, headless. Yeah, fucking full-on decapitated. Dead. Just, I yeah, mean, dead, done. dead. The only character with any major backstory, with any kind of narrative arc. And he's our hero. He's our hero, and he's dead. Yeah. And then we cut to it's Zora bringing mm-hmm. the head of Ilias to Okrin. And the magic bow. And the magic bow. He got bow. it all. Yeah. And she's about to crack his skull open, I guess, to eat his brains and yeah. get all drugged out. But his eyes snap open. His eyes open, yeah. Which is a cool effect. Um, she says something about how Zora killed his body but not his soul. Yeah, she says his spirit lives on and can still fulfill the prophecy. Yeah. Uh, we cut the mace. He's burning Ilias's body. Yep. Has a little funeral pyre all set up. And then Ilias's spirit kind of reaches out to him. Yeah. As this ritual is going on. And he says that, um, you know, his his quest and his legacy with the bow, he's going to inherit and pass that on to Mace. And kind of task him with finishing off Okra. And he says, anoint yourself with my ashes. And then so too will the bow work for you as well. Yeah. And he does so. And he swears revenge. Yes. He takes up an oath of revenge. And <laughs> we cut back to Okrin's lair, and the mace pretty much just shows up. Well, yeah, she's doing like her morning ritual where That's she's right. out there like on the rocks, her subjects are below her, and they're yes. waiting desperately for her to to rise the sun up and start the day for them. Right. Um, and, well, she's got the bow, yep. but he shows up and like extends his hand. It's awesome, because she's on this like rocky outcropping, yeah. and he shows up on one like across a chasm, right. and just holds out his hand, and the bow just like, whoosh! Yeah, it just starts floating toward him. Epic. Yeah. So he gets it. It starts glowing, and he's shooting laser bows at everything. And again, I think this is also a bit more of that Star Wars influence, because yeah. he's look a lot like blaster bolts, too. Yeah, I, I was looking at Letterboxd reviews just to see what people these days think of the film. Mm-hmm. And I saw more than one where they were like calling it a light bow, and just saying like it's it's the, the bow equivalent of a lightsaber. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Which actually, there is a weapon like that that the Death Mary witches use. Oh. So... It shoots plasma, but yeah. Eh, same difference. <laughs> it's all going to instantly kill you, so. Right. Um, so he's killing all of her minions and shit. Uh, she, like, teleports yeah. back to her cavern inside the mountain. But <laughs> don't stop Mace, because <laughs> he fires an arrow, and it, like, goes into the mountain mm-hmm. and hits her in the head. Yep. And her helmet Shatters splits the mask. open. Yeah, the mask splits open. And ooh, turns out she's this hideous. There's a reason she wears a mask. Monster, yeah, yeah. Her, her face is all messed up. She looks pretty grody. So it's a real. Uh, it's not a funny joke. I'm not gonna say it. I was gonna say it's a real paperback situation. <laughs> it's a real metal mask situation. <laughs> uh, we might have to cut that one. I don't know. Maybe it's a little mean. But it's also kind of funny. We'll see. Um. So she's like freaking out, like. Arr. And then Mace just like materializes yeah, in like front he, of her. He teleports. He there, teleports, which we didn't see him do before. But yeah. Apparently, this bow is ill and determined to <laughs> <laughs> have its will be done. And then he just straight up shoots her. Yep. But she turns into a wolf. Yeah, kind of like what the reverse of Zora inhabiting the wolf. 
Yeah. And then we see that there's two wolves. There's the one that Okrin turns into, and then the white wolf that Zora possessed. Right. And they run off together. The two of them run off together. And then we just cut the mace walking off into the sunset. Yep, with the bow. And it kind of kind of implies like he's going to carry on Elias' yeah. will. And there could be a sequel, because it looks like yeah. Zora and Okrin aren't dead. Yeah, it made me think it was one of these things where it's like they can just inhabit a life and take it over yeah. and, and manifest. Right. But we never did get a conquest, too. So there never was a sequel. Unfortunately, no. We did not. <laughs> and that is the end. And, you know, any similarities to living people is purely <laughs> coincidental. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forgot about that when I rewatched it. I messaged you about it. Because the first thing that pops up before any of the credits yeah. roll is it says, any uh, similarities to people living their dead <laughs> or any events are purely coincidental. And it's like, okay, guys. D- Usually that's at the end. <laughs> no one no one is concerned that this might be making any reference to anything that right. realistically exists. Hey, I know a guy with a light bow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. And that was Conquest. Pure on, just, you know, straight, perfect cut, just insanity. <laughs> it is like, what, 84 minutes, something like that? Mm-hmm. It's under half an hour, or hour and a half, rather. Yeah. And I'm sure you know this, but the first thing I want to point out about this, which makes more sense if it had this title, was that the the original Italian shooting title was Mace the Outlaw. Yeah, yeah, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> so it was supposed to be about Mace to begin with. Right, yeah. Um, and it, it seems clear, like, that's the thing. Like, he's your Conan character. Yeah. And he's much more charismatic mm-hmm. than Ilias, too. Yeah. Ilias is just this, like, well-meaning twerp. <laughs> yeah. The film was an Italian-Spanish-Mexican co-production, and they actually shot bits in both uh, Mexico, Sardinia, and Rome, Italy. Nice. Oh, and Mace was played by Jorge Rivero. I don't know if you ever mentioned that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I, I think he's definitely the best actor in the movie. Oh, yeah. He he sells his part perfectly. Yeah. He has the right physique. He has some charisma. He's good. Uh, Some stuff I have. The film cinematographer Alejandro Ulloa, he came up with this idea of the fog machine and a soft-focus lens to get that like ethereal, dreamy look going on. And it, it does work most of the time. I think maybe it's overused. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. And I think this is where we get into like um, the concept of like an Italian knockoff because you look at like what are other directors that are really famous doing right now and it made me think of like Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. In a lot of his films, he kind of done this whole like fog motif. Yeah. Um, really seemed like they were trying to ape that a little bit. Yeah. Also Coppola in um... <sighs> Apocalypse <laughs> Now. Yeah. Of course. A lot of those things were nice and smoky and that, hazy, uh, especially re- in the jungle. Resonated through everything. Yeah. Uh, some little background on this. So Fulci had signed a two-picture contract with producer Giovanni Di Clemente. Um, and while they worked on Conquest, they got into a ton of disagreements and did not get along at all. <laughs> Imagine that. And the second they finished the movie, Fulci left and was like, hey, I'm done. Forget the contract. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to finish it. Which actually led to Clemente suing Fulci and taking it to court. But he lost. The judge uh, concluded that Fulci could not be compelled to work if he refused. <laughs> I wish I could not be compelled Which, to work. Which, I mean, it, it's Fulci, so, I mean, he's probably right about that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I saw a little interview with um, Jorge Rivera, and he was talking about how he met Fulci and liked Fulci, respected him. Mm-hmm. But um, when he first met him, it was on set. So they brought his chair up to him and put it alongside Fulci's chair. Mm-hmm. And Fulci was like, no, 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 put it behind me. 
He didn't want he didn't want anyone else on equal footing with him. But then later on, uh, Jorge was telling the story about a producer not wanting to give them more money for something. Mm-hmm. So Fulci went to him and said, hey, if you back me up, he'll give us this money. So he did it. And then he got a chair right next to Fulci. He mm. got to sit right next to him. So he, he got the respect. Yeah, it made me think about... Um, this would have been like forever last year when I mentioned it. But I listened to a podcast where they interviewed... Uh, it was the woman that played the little girl in House by the Edge of the Cemetery. Yeah. And she talked about her experiences working with Fulci and how he was like really super strict, but also like very, very nice and kind to her. What's and, good. It, and it was like an interesting like juxtaposition between those two. Yeah, you never know about these Italian directors. <laughs> <laughs> um, film did not do well. Mm-mm. It was basically a box office bomb. I think in Italy it grossed less than 100 million lire. Yeah. So, they can't all be winners. I uh, wonder why. I wonder if it was the oversaturation of fantasy films at the time. or Because there was connect. a lot. Like, this was like yeah. the peak of that. Especially in Italian. Italy, there were so many. Mm. So many. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of the early, like, home video releases of this were edited. Notably, the uh, UK version put out in 83 had four minutes and eight seconds cut out. Um, pretty much, it was a lot of the nudity. Um, close-ups on the sores when Ilias is poisoned. And they took out when they decapitate the woman and her brain being eaten. So all the best parts. All the best parts. And how could you play this movie on... I've never seen this played on TV, <laughs> and I don't think you ever could. Because, no, no. I mean, she's naked the entire time. Yeah, there's no way, of, no way to cut around it. Yeah, unless you put fog it or something, but that's <laughs> distracting as hell. Um, and then the Blue Underground DVD was the first time it was fully uncut and had been like cleaned up and made, mm-hmm. made a nice presentation. Which I actually meant to bring it with me, but I forgot it. I have the like most recent Blu-ray restoration. I think it was done by Code Red, and it's released through Ronin Flix. Okay, how does it um, look? It's still blurry, but it it does okay look the best of any option. I didn't know how much of it was the streaming because I first tried streaming it on Tubi. Uh-huh. I'm like the aspect ratio is kind of odd here. <laughs> I don't think it was, it was right. So then I switched over, and it's also kind of grimy. Mm-hmm. So I switched over to Shout Factory. It's on there too. The aspect ratio looked better. Yeah, that's probably the latest. Yeah. version. And I think it looked a little sharper. So anyone out there who's listening to this and wants to watch Conquest but doesn't want to pay for it, try Shout Factory. Um, but my favorite thing about the uh, the Ronin Flix release, I pre-ordered it and it came with a freaking like they commissioned a new cover art, which is super awesome looking. It's very much like a if you looked at like a Dungeon Crawl Classics adventure module, it looks like one of those covers. Oh, sweet. And it's got. Um, it's got Mace and he's got like his his bone flail uh-huh. and off in the distance in like this green fog is Okran kind of towering in the background. Oh, nice. Um, well, the original poster is pretty badass too. Yeah, the one that's on IMDb. And they made a uh, a magnet of the cover in the shape of VHS box, and that came with like the pre orders. Oh, that's badass. So that's like my one conquest on our fridge at home is. I have that. I have that magnet up there. Like, just you can't avoid it. It's always there, staring at you. Yeah, even on the poster, it's Mace on the front. Mm -hmm. Ilias isn't on here. It's like Mace and uh, Zora. I guess that's supposed to be. Yeah, which I could see see uh, Ilias a little bit. Yes. No. No. That's Mace holding the bow. (laughs) Which I could. I could see an Ilias, you know, cover where it's like him drawing the bow. Sure. Yeah, but (laughs) Mm. he's not the character. He's not the guy. Nope. He's not the hero. Now, you mentioned Alejandro Ulio, Ulia, who f- filmed the movie. Yeah. And I try not to think about what could have been with movies. Right. But seriously, what if the movie was shot by Sergio Savalti, who shot 
zombie, Citadel oh, of yeah. the Dead, the Beyond, House by the Cemetery. If he had shot this, while I think the smoke and soft focus works, I mean, how awesome would it have looked if he shot this? If Savaldi shot this. Yeah. And I wonder why that they had collaborated so much and then he wasn't in on this one. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he pissed him off. <laughs> There's no telling. And I also wish that the script was written by maybe uh, Dardano Sacchetti. Sacchetti. Right, because this was uh, Clementi that wrote it as well. Yeah. And... Um, Giorgio Mar- Maruzzo. Because they worked on um, a lot of those famous movies I just mentioned. Mm. So if the writer of The Beyond had worked on this and the cinematographer for The Beyond had shot this, oh man. But oh well. Let's see. I think I've hit all my notes. Oh, I had some like, what did people think at the time? What did they say? Uh So this was a review from the time of its release uh, in the monthly film Bulletin. They referred to it as a low-budget, delirious magpie mix of Conan the Barbarian, Quest for Fire, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, with a few zombies thrown in for good measure. It's not wrong. <laughs> uh, and their conclusion was, despite its excessive gore and manifestly implausible plot and some patchy special effects, it was actually somehow quite enjoyable. <laughs> so that's... There you go. It's um, brief. You know, it's yeah, not, it's not it boring. Overall, I think the biggest praise you can find for it is the score. That Simon Oh, yeah. Made. I mean, you it's can't... so good. That's a great score. That's something you can listen to on its own. And a lot of people of the time when they were reviewing it, they pointed out its comparison both to Goblin scores mm-hmm. as well as the scores of Deep Red and Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Specifically those, that vibe. I hear a lot of Dawn in there. Yeah. So I think, I think that's... There's not a lot of notes on this one. No, This was late, not... Fulci, it, and... It, it never, you don't hear much about this one. Right. I think it's really for Fulci completists. Mm-hmm. but <laughs> like, man it's fun it's so much fun it's fun I enjoy it for the most part it gets a little sluggy every now and then so I knew of its existence but the first time I saw it was when I pre-ordered the Blu-ray um, and I remember I got it in and I was so excited to watch it because it was like oh Fulci I've never seen and I want to say it was like a late day at work and it was maybe midnight before I put this in and I was like you know what I'm just going to stay up and watch it why not mm-hmm. and I almost immediately fell asleep <laughs> and then I would intermittently like every like 15 minutes or so wake up for a little bit and see some stuff <laughs> and then like nod back off and then wake up again and then I woke back up for like the final little like 20 minutes and I was just like oh dude what the hell is going on right now like did I did I dream the whole movie or it's so hazy and dreamy already and then the next day I went back and like actually watched it start to finish and I was just like dude that's that's funny insane nice Uh, so would you like me to give my final thoughts on it first yeah I'll let you go first because I I did pick this one I did burden us with this movie (laughs) (laughs) Um, so let's tear the bandaid off and see see where you are I mean, I, I enjoy it. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's it's cheesy. It's gory. Um, it's kind of frustrating, though. Because to me, it feels like so much more of a what-could-have-been type movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but judging on what we got, it's there are some surprises. I mean, it's shocking when Ilias dies. Yeah. You're like, what the hell? Yeah, I never expected that in yeah. a million years. I appreciate all the gore. I like Mace. He's a cool character. Uh, I just wish it was a bit more competently done because mm-hmm. a lot of the makeup is, especially the creature designs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, they almost have like the feel. It's the the vibe of like a uh, a very low budget seventies tokusatsu show from Japan, right? Like where they have the rubber suit monsters and stuff. Yeah. 
the action choreography could have been better. I mean, I don't know what I'm expecting from a cheap Italian production in the early <laughs> 80s, but... I think the brutal gore kind of makes up for it a little bit. Yeah, it does. It helps. And they're all trying. They're doing their best, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Um, at the end of the day, I think I have to land on a two and a half. Whew, okay. Yeah, well, I, I yeah. just I just think it's it's pretty average. I do think it's worth watching if you if you dig fantasy films, especially if you like, um, like yeah, more of the weird fantasy, mm-hmm. more primeval type stuff. Uh, definitely check it out. But at the end of the day, it's <laughs> it's just it's more frustrating than anything for me. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think that those are all fair points. Okay. No one would begrudge you for saying them. Thank you. Like they will begrudge me as I begin my spiel. Oh God. Which starts with I. I honestly quite love this movie a ton ever since I've seen it. Um, I appreciate its fultiness for one. Again, like I said, like my favorite directors, they they have very stylistic elements to their films, and it's very, it's very fulci and it's all in there. And I love that it's his blended version of a sword and sorcery flick. Um, I love how many horror elements are squeezed in there. Just the crazy gore, people getting torn in half, decapitated, sure. brains yep. are being eaten, yep. just all over the place. Um, the fact that we have these crazy like swamp zombies that pop up the fact that uh the fact that there's these weird like spider demon things it is very dnd uh, it's very just out there and crazy uh very dungeon crawl classics i think if i had to pick a type of dnd oh sure because uh, it's the weirder it's gonzo you may say mm-hmm. um and then also a classic fulci trope there's the, the weird sexuality at play where you're kind of like i don't know what's going on is this erotic <laughs> uh, it's a little awkward, but everything with Okran and her like rituals and stuff and the way they work. Yeah. Um, they never explain them very fully, but it's always like interesting to see. Um, maybe it's more interesting having not been explained. I don't know. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably so. Um, I love that. It just feels like it's this weird fever dream with no logical plot. And you kind of just jump from like encounter to encounter and little story beat. Mm-hmm. And then they just sort of stumble into the end. Um, Love the score again. The score is just perfect yeah, for this score. film. Clearly, like the standout part. If you had to just pick one thing, um, yeah, I just love it start to finish. And I think like the big thing is there's no other fantasy film you can watch that's going to be like this one. Whether you like it or not, it is a truly unique piece of cinema. And even it's as true. it rips off other things like Conan, like The Quest for Fire, and things like that. It's still in such a weird and just fucking awkward way that <laughs> it's so unique, and I love it for that. So I sit right at a four star. Four stars, yeah. wow! Which is way more generous than it probably deserves. Sure, but, but you you uh, you have your reasons. Yeah, you know, I love yeah. weird fantasy. I love Fulci. Mm-hmm. It's everything I want. Nice. Well, other, I'm sorry you never got that sequel. Other than a sequel, because I yeah. want I want more Adventures <laughs> of Mace and the Magic Bow. Yeah, hey, I'd watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. So it's been an interesting journey as we've moved from conventional to weirder and weirder territories. Yeah, we may have one more fantasy film coming up, maybe. Perhaps. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Don't want to overpromise anything. No. Um, but for the meantime, that means that we have a listener episode to get to. Yay! Always good. We'll give us a little cool down from all this fantasiness. Mm-hmm. And this is one we've been waiting to do for a long time. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. Uh, Cliffy, you pitched this to us last year with a set of several movies you sent us. Uh, it was, I think it was off the backs of our Western block mm-hmm. that we did. And at the time, you couldn't get at this movie. Uh, it had been like on streaming, but then it had been pulled from streaming. There was no viable release. 
but by the grace of Arrow Video, it has been restored, and it's out there again. We are going to be checking out from 1986, The Millionaire's Express, directed by Sammo Hung. Yeah, and starring, like, everybody. <laughs> everybody that is a name you'll know if you're into yeah. Hong Kong cinema. Um, and I actually, this one slipped under my radar. I have not known much about this. Then I saw the trailer on, and it's, it's on Arrow, streaming on Arrow now. So if you, nice. you have no excuse not to at least check out Arrow. Oh man, the trailer is so much fun. <laughs> if the movie's half as good as the trailer, I'm going to be very happy, man. Killer. So I my angle on this is, again, like Hong Kong cinema is a new frontier for me. Mm. You've basically been listening to me explore it as this show goes on. Um, other than a few standout areas, I know, like I know Bruce Lee films, I know sure. Jackie Chan films. Yeah. Um, and so I know Sammo Hung from his Jackie Chan films. This film was a new experience for me, so I'm interested to nah. see how it feels. Very good. I can't wait. Yeah, but um, I guess we could say it's in the vein of like let's the, let the bullets fly that we covered, where it's couched in China, but it uses all the tropes of an American Western. Yeah. To tell the story. Very westerny looking, yes. Which is super cool. I'm excited to check it out. I'm glad that it only took a year for this to be a thing we could get at finally. So yeah. That's super cool. Nice. And we'll, we'll get into all of that next time. Otherwise, Jason, you got anything else? I don't think so. I think I think we hit everything. I think so. I think that's it, man. Cool. That's all I got about Conquest or anything well, else. Remember to keep courage in your heart. <laughs> uh, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on this very weird journey to talk about Conquest and Lucio Fulci. Um, it's weird to me that it took this long for us to cover a Fulci film. Oh, yeah. I know we bring them up often, but... That's true. Hmm. Hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> um, so keep tuning in, keep listening, keep sending us your film recommendations. Still kind of polling the general public on, do we think it's a cool idea to like headhunt film requests and... If we cover your film, we'll mail you a sticker. If you think that's a cool idea, let us know, and we'll look into doing that. I think it is, because these stickers are pretty rad. Yep. Jason's got one now on his laptop, so that when he he sits in the coffee shop (laughs) and works on his podcast notes, people will know what he's doing. When I'm sitting there writing my screenplay, (laughs) drinking my overcomplicated order. Yes. (laughs) Your your venti and your extra shots of this and that. Wearing my fedora. (laughs) (laughs) But he's only tipping it slightly, so it's okay. <laughs> um, hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're over there on YouTube if you care. If you're if you're the YouTube guy, <laughs> not what whatever. Um, let us know what you've been watching. Let us know what you think is cool. Keep films on our radar to check out that we were missing. What do you think about Conquest? What do you think about Conquest? Do you, do you like it? Do you put off by its weirdness? <laughs> if you go on Letterboxd, there's a lot of one stars, and they're just like, "What the fuck is this movie?" No, that's unfair. It's a little unfair, but I mean, I can get it. It's, it's, uh, it's not for everyone. If you're not uh, a Fulci aficionado, I think you're not prepared <laughs> for late era films by him. True. But yeah, I guess that all said, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everybody. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media 
the PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.